I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I'm glad you're joining me today. And today I have with me Bobby Burke. He is a writer for OutKick, and most importantly, he is a fellow Michigander. Welcome to the podcast, Bobby. Yeah, Tudor, I appreciate it. Um, I mean, you're the only person media that I know is from and lives in Michigan. So pretty cool, right? It's always people from New York, California, people I can't relate to. So fellow Michigander is pretty cool. Yes, I know. So we need to let people know what the majority of the country is really yeah. like. That's why it's important for us to talk. And I think that the best way to kick this off is this latest stuff with beer. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, it's so wild, because if you look at it, and this is a problem with so many corporations is that they, they cater to their critics, not their consumer base. That's what you see with Bud Light and you see with Miller Light, even though their ad was a couple of months ago. It just resurfaced this week about trying to honor the founding mothers of beer who evil men put in bikinis, I believe is their phrasing. But that is just them not understanding who their consumers are. And you saw this so often with big TV networks is that instead of reassuring the people who are buying their products or consuming their products that they're for them, they just neglect them and go and try to make amends with people who already don't like them. And that was my biggest issue with Bud Light is that by honoring Dylan Mulvaney, who I don't know, he's either mentally ill or trying to mock the female gender. I mean, stuff he does is just so asinine that they're not appealing to Bud Light drinkers. They're telling them, hey, we don't care what you guys want. We're going to try to appeal to a new group, which, according to the vice president, is less fratty. She said Bud Light consumers are too fratty. So it's disrespectful to the consumer. <laughs> but base. if that's what you're saying... Are you really a marketer if you don't understand the, well, she actually understood who her clientele right. is, but she decided that she was going to go against what they would want. Why would you do that? Well, because I think they prioritize PR 
in confused status with success, right? I think this marketer knows who her audience is, but thought maybe the New York Times is going to honor Anheuser-Busch by um, getting the business with Dylan Mulvaney. I think it's status over success. And I wrote a piece on this last week. The whole Bud Light repercussion, sales and market capitalized um, collapsing, that just shows you that the common man still has a lot of power in this country, even if marketers and big firms so often neglect them. I'm really tired of this. You know, if you see a woman who is appearing to be beautiful in some way, that this is somehow taking away from women. I think it's funny that these like raging liberals will go on and on about how women are taken advantage of, put in bikinis. But those same liberals will then be like, I quit my job teaching and now I'm making 500000 on OnlyFans. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like those um liberal women who put on a TikTok, like wearing revealing clothing and bikinis and say, why are my uh, followers sexually harassed? <laughs> yeah, like those girls that go to the gym body. and they're like, oh, he's yeah. looking at my butt. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you see that so often. That's exactly what it is, right? Like on the one hand, they post a photo so everybody sees them and calls them hot. Then they get offended when they are hot. So they're kind of serving two purposes, right? They want to be called hot, but they want to be offended when they're called hot. It's a really backwards look at the way we progress as a society. I think it's interesting because, you know, women in bikinis are able to sell things. Men in bikinis, never. That's never a good idea. I think it gives women more power. People see men in a Speedo and they're like, oh my gosh, wash my eyes out. I never want to see that again. So I think women should be proud that we can sell things. I agree. And by the way, you know, nobody wants to say what you just said. And that's what bothers <laughs> me so much because in these meetings, they're not saying what you and I are saying, which is the truth, right? Because the truth is now apparently offended. Like what you said, somebody say, oh, Tudor, that's sexist. How dare you? By the way, are you sure that guy wearing a Speedo is a man? I mean, those are the conversations <laughs> we have in corporate America. But normal people like you and I would say it's pretty obvious. Beer drinkers would rather look at a hot chick in a bikini than some guy, Dylan Mulvaney, who pretends to be a girl, even though he's a 27 year old. But the man. funny thing is that they will put him in a bikini in a tub and be like, and, and so, so how does this work? Like the, the, the way your mind has to twist around this, wait a minute, you have a man in a bikini in a bathtub and that is supposed to be sexy, but he's supposed to be a woman. And so women in a bathtub then are sexy, but then if you're a biological woman, you have to be mad about oh being in a bathtub. If you're only if you're if you've decided to become a woman, can you do this? What? How do you even wrap your mind around these things? Yeah, I mean, like most things with the trans movement, it just puts my mind in a blender because, like, what you just said, trying to connect all the dots, man, woman, the appropriate, not appropriate. You're absolutely right. And again, I, I don't think none of this stuff is representative of society at large. I believe there's a small, radical, very loud minority that supports this stuff. I think it's quite clear based on the reaction to the Bud Light partnership that most Americans say, yeah, this stuff's nonsense. That guy's a troll. There's something wrong with him. And we really shouldn't be celebrating his 365 days of girlhood. By the way, not womanhood, girlhood. And uh, it's just so messed up. And I think glad to see most of the country take a stand and just stop buying Bud Light after this. Well, I, I think that's a good point that you make. The girlhood thing makes everything a little bit more questionable because this is an adult that is acting as a child. And so what is what is really going on there? But, you know, we are not going to figure that out today. I think that's uh, there's a lot here that is really hard to wrap your mind around. And honestly, I will tell you that I actually feel like Dylan Mulvaney, and I, and I know this is not a popular opinion, but I feel like Dylan Mulvaney has been used. And ultimately, this is going to be really hard on 
Dylan as a person. I think this is going to be very emotionally challenging because you know there's been a lot of life changes for Dylan over the past year, and a lot of those are going to come back and 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 hit really hard pretty soon. And then coming out as this public person and being used by advertisers this way, let's face it, these marketers are using him to try to be extreme. They don't care about what the feelings are, what happens after the fact, once they've done their deed and gotten rid of the the influencer. But now what? where does that leave the person who's been used in this way? That is so well said. And um, I wrote about this in my uh, latest column. So there's a discussion a couple months ago about what is woke. And at the end of the day, woke is the weaponization of vulnerable groups. You saw it with race and you're now seeing it with so-called transgender persons. They're weaponizing people like Mulvaney who are susceptible to believe in anything they tell him, and they're using him for their own status. And you saw this with race too. They would tell supposedly marginalized group, hey, society's still racist against you. Everything's rigged against you. So white liberals at the top could then use that and say, hey, look at, we're focusing on these marginalized groups. Vote for us. Give us a pass and demonize all of our political opposition. That's exactly what's going on with what I I call a woman face. They are telling these sometimes teenagers, sometimes adults, hey, you be whatever you want to be. Treat your gender like a costume. It will tell you how victimized you actually are and how evil everybody else is. I mean, there was such great political, financial, and social benefit for the left by making the country more racialized during the aftermath of George Floyd. I believe they're doing the exact same thing with the transgender movement, trying to gain status by pretending to care about these groups. But they're not the ones who are going to have to bear the consequences. I mean, as far as I know, Mulvaney hasn't had any physical surgery, but th- those that undergo gentle mutilation, I mean, Tudor, there was a story in the New York Times two months ago that creates lifelong wounds. When you cut your body parts off, your mind and body will always treat those wounds like a permanent scar. That is lifelong pain that political and social leaders have encouraged for their own benefit. Yeah, well, so... From what I understand, he has had face feminization. So I believe there's been surgery there. I don't believe what they call the top or bottom surgery has gone on. I don't know. I mean, here, here is the thing here. We're talking about a person's personal body about because he's, he's become so public. You know, what has he done? Is this permanently damaging him? And I think that's something that we really don't talk about. And that's, that's the shame in these companies glorifying this because to be honest, if we are being honest, it's not an easy life. And for the people who genuinely struggle with gender dysmorphia, that is a very challenging life. And and oftentimes they're searching and they never really find satisfaction or happiness or joy because it is a really hard thing to go through in life. And that and and body dysmorphia comes in many different ways. You see gender, you see people who go through eating disorders. It's always a struggle. So glorifying this is really not helping anybody. And I think that's the thing that is shocking as a parent, as someone who knew folks in college that went through body dysmorphia. It's something that, I mean, if you think about it, there would never have been a time when corporations would come out and just cheer on anorexia and say how great this is. But it's in that same category. And yet we have corporations that have just embraced this to a way that it's gone to such an extreme. But I would say that the the shout your victimhood mentality started really under Obama. We started to see that then. 
like embrace victimhood, be a victim. And since then, look at how society has broken down, especially in communities that he really pushed that. And now we see high crime, we see violence and, and they're, they're cheering on crime too. They're letting people off. They, these soft on crime prosecutors are letting people continue to destroy businesses. Businesses are leaving these cities. What is going to be left if we continue to embrace victimhood instead of victory? Yeah. And, and we described is what I call the pyramid of victimization and um, obviously straight white males at the very bottom of it now. And all of a sudden trans person at the very top, they've, repl- they've certainly replaced um, minority skin color wise. I mean, that, that seems pretty obvious based on the movement of this. And um, I just think it is, it is backwards. And like you said, we, we are awarding people who have the best claim of oh, I've been a victim. And I also think it brings up a larger point, like you talked about with anorexia. By telling people they can be whatever they want to be, that they can wear gender like a mask, that encourages them to not overcome self-hate, but just succumb to it, right? Mm. The worst thing anybody can do is hate themselves and undergo a vivid change to undo that instead of reconciling who they are. And that's what I worry about with this entire movement is that people don't like who they are. So they think, okay, I'm going to be happier turning into a woman or turning into a man, or maybe turning into both and switching back and forth. Like so many do now, um, they go under the, undergo these surgeries and those wounds are permanent. Those scars are permanent. And that's not better for them. That's not them coming to grips with who they are. That's them trying to change who they are and really succumbing to it. I would say self-loathe. And that's the most dangerous consequence of this entire charade. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think that when you talk about that wound, that permanent wound, people are not understanding that when you have these surgeries, they are changing your nerve endings or cutting through your nerves. There's there's no feeling. This is not, you're not becoming something else. You are losing a big part of yourself. And you have to really understand that it's it's not a career change that you can go back. This is a permanent change. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and that's what I think the, so wrong with the whole conversation about this is that, um, People dismiss it as, oh, this is a culture war topic. This topic shouldn't affect you if it's not you. Well, actually, I think this does affect a lot of people because, A, a lot of people are now taking showers in schools with men mm, who yeah. call themselves women. I mean, that's not a person. I mean, that's a problem that affects everybody. And I think what you're seeing is the dangers that these surgeries have on people. That shouldn't be a problem that society just says, oh, that's a you problem. Let them go deal with it themselves. I mean, no, we need to. A, forewarn people of the consequences, which nobody's doing. I mean, if you go on like CNN or MSNBC and say what I just said, they would call you transphobic and probably cut your, your mic off and not let you say it. But like, those are the conversations that need to be had. If adults still go and do this, they absolutely need to know the consequences. And there should be under no circumstance a way where kids that are under 18 can undergo these permanent changes. I mean, anyone who is encouraging that, I don't know if it's pedophilia or them trying to just benefit from political discourse, but that should absolutely not happening in any other era that would be, be considered bizarre, um, offensive and dangerous. But in this society in 2023, it's supposed to be normalized. I mean, I just can never come to grips with that. Well, you talk about that pyramid, and obviously we know there was a time when the white male was really dominant in this country and was the one that was, you know, at the tops of companies and, and very powerful. And then that that women started to come in, and then it was really the African-American woman, you know, the black woman that was going to be put on the Supreme Court, that was going to be held in high esteem. And then we went to the transgender, and that seems to have taken over, but Black men never really had that moment where they were embraced and said, you know, we want to have we want to really lift up black men in this country and make them CEOs and, and see them succeed. And so we see a society where we have high black on black crime and not enough opportunity in those communities where we're raising up a very small percentage of people and ignoring Black men altogether, when is it a time when black men succeed in this country? Yeah, I mean, and that's such a good point because the entire progressive movement 
pretty much originates from the idea that we always need to progress. And I think we often progress too fast and ignore change, ignore progress. And black men were just skipped over. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you're you're seeing black on black crime so often initiate almost always by black men, particularly when it's violence. Um, so, yeah, I don't know when their turn is, but they certainly never had it. They certainly never had it in the corporate sphere other than maybe on sports networks and stuff. I think they did have their time. Maybe they have it right now. But by and large, you're absolutely right. And there's other groups that have been passed over too. I mean, the Hispanic community um, is much larger than the African-American community, but they make up far less powerful positions. I mean, there was a study from CNN a couple of months ago that when it comes to the medical field, Hispanics are far more underrepresented than African-Americans and they don't really get the attention. I think a lot of that is, is the media and politicians, they focus on the marginalized group or so-called marginalized group that they believe they can then weaponize for their own status. And I think for whatever reason, black men, Hispanics were passed over because I think it's clear right now, and it's going to be the next couple of years, trans people are the focus. Um, and, you know, you go back to like when white men were dominant and all that stuff. I think that a lot of this is that we don't, we don't want to acknowledge progress because it's not, it's not, it's not, it doesn't behoove people in power to acknowledge progress. I think they always want to be able to say, hey, this group, they, they deserve repercussions, comeuppance for their past dominance. And that's why I don't think this will ever stop because there's always going to be this mindset, hey, they had their turn. Now it's this group's turn. And I just think it's such a dangerous way to go about society. I mean, because there's no end in sight. It's a never ending treadmill where there's always going to be a group weaponized. It's okay. They're the focus. They're marginalized today. I mean, there's no end in sight with it. It seems like when we used to talk about diversity, though, and when you had the progressive side of the country coming out and saying, you know, we need to make sure that your companies are diverse, that was because people were looking at folks and saying, you know, I'll go with this person over this person based on their outward appearance, which is generally connected to race or ethnicity. Whereas now diversity is not about that at all. It's about your sexuality, which is something you would imagine is not something you outwardly see from the person. But it's like if you come out, I mean, I think even recently on I was watching the morning show and they were like, you know, if you come out as bi, you have a better chance of getting a promotion. And I thought this is actually accurate. If you're coming out and telling someone your sexuality, you have a better chance of surpassing someone in a career. How bizarre has this become? Oh, there's no question. Um, I mean, you talk to like TV agents and network executives. I mean, they will be very open, like off the record or on background, like, hey, we just cannot hire a white male for this position, or we might not even be able to hire a white woman. We need to go diversity here. And that's why you see press releases all the time will say like first African-American woman or they'll mention their their um, race right off the bat just to make it clear that they hired for diversity. And Tudor, I always go back to 15 years ago, John went to the market. You'd say, hey, John, your neighbor went to the market. Now it's about John, who is a straight white conservative male or John, who is a non-binary black man. Um, that, that middle part has become so crucial because it's about identity, right? Is that your name and your personality and your past experiences matter less than the identif your identification in the groups that you uh, belong to now. And that's where this is all heading, right? Is that when you like LinkedIn now is allowing recruiters to search for job candidates by race and by- Are you serious? Well, yeah, absolutely. Daily Wire reported two weeks 
ago. So if you're if you're a big company and you you want, I don't know, a black woman or a non-binary white person, you can go search that now. So your credentials matter much less than your identity. I mean, think about that for the majority of the country, because if we're being honest, the majority of the country does not fall within that category. And once again, you have minorities, according to race, who are going to be passed over for someone who is in a minority based on what they do in the bedroom, which you talk about celebrating this. I mean, just in the last week, we've been celebrating Corinne Jean-Pierre and her, the fact that she's got a year as the White House spokesperson as a lesbian woman. This is like big news. I mean, I got probably four breaking news articles on the day of like, this is the day we're celebrating. This is amazing. I don't actually want to know what she does in her bedroom. I don't want to think about it at all. And I go back to that saying 15 years ago, I never wondered. And now it's at the (laughs) forefront of every conversation, right? Like that's not progress. That's not making us a more inclusive society. We're actually becoming more exclusive because we're all getting put into separate groups and tribalism has just escalated over this stuff. And uh, you're you're so right about that. Like, why does that matter? Is is she a good press secretary or is she's not? I mean, the answer is no, but I'd much rather have that be the conversation than what she does in the bedroom because uh, there's been a lot of press secretaries in the past that we never wondered that. We never cared, but now it matters so much. And that's not progress to me. That's us going backwards. Well, and by that rate, you could have somebody who has had the most training in something, is excellent in their career, is some sort of a savant in engineering, but you know they are a heterosexual, so they're just going to be looked over. I mean, how bizarre is it that you have to worry about telling people what you do in your bedroom because it may not be desirable to your company? How did we even get here? All right. Yeah. What's, what's so interesting about this is all these big corporations train employees right away to like never ask about sexual. Right, yes. like, as soon as you join a big corporation, you take these sexual harassment classes. Like, don't you dare ask somebody what they do in the bedroom, but publicly and politically, we were supposed to ask the question. I mean, how does that make sense? And by the way, I've asked that question quite a few times because none of it doesn't make sense. None of it's supposed to make sense. But uh, yeah, I just, I find that so, so bizarre that you can't ask somebody about that in the workplace. But behind the scenes, every executive wants to know what they're doing in the bedroom. You know, it's funny that you say that because I came out of the election and started talking to folks and had somebody come to me and say, oh, I'd really like you to work for my, the company that I own. I want you to sit down with the CEO. And so I sit down with the CEO and he looks at me and he says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you just such a loud Republican. Now everybody knows that. So we have Democrats at our customers. We really can't hire you. And I, and in my mind, I thought, are you really allowed to tell someone in an interview based on your political status? We cannot, your political beliefs, you are someone we cannot have at our company. But here it's like, how do you identify what's going on in your bedroom? Because that'll depend on whether or not we bring you aboard. But if you're a Republican, you're out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, I have a friend uh, who works at a sports network and uh, he's a white guy and uh, he's 35 and there's not a lot of pr- uh, opportunity for straight white guys. And uh, I told him, I said, well, if you put they and them in your bio and say you're non-binary, I mean, would that increase your chance? Because then all of a sudden you're a warrior, you're, 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 you're setting a trend and all that stuff. But it is true because I say that jokingly, but I do believe little stuff like that can make a huge difference or not little, but um, identity has become the top qualification across corporate America. And once you get to that point, I mean, you just have a system that's failing because the best people are not getting 
their positions. Now, I know people always fire back and say, oh, it's always been like that. Never quite like this. Never before has your identification, what you do in the bedroom and your appearance mattered so much. I mean, what you look like, how you were born technically can now determine the entire success of your career. And that is so unfortunate for hardworking people who were born, unfortunately, maybe white and they are straight. I mean, what are they supposed to do? Like, If you're 12 years old right now and you're a white male and you want to work at a Fortune 500 company, what do you do? Because chances are your identification is going to be held against you. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
it's almost as though these companies really don't get what they're putting out there because it's yeah. really not easily consumable by much of the public. Much of the public doesn't really, I mean, this doesn't impact their lives. It doesn't resonate. It's not a big deal. So I, I'll pick on the movie Bros, for example, because that movie came out and it did horribly at the box office. And there was like all of this news that people are so homophobic. They didn't go see the movie Bros. And it was funny because my one of the folks working on the campaign at the time was gay. And he said to me, I can tell you why Bros didn't work. He was like, think about it. Romantic comedies are made for women because women love to like put themselves in that mindset of, oh, I could have that same life. It was like, dudes hate romantic comedies. I'm a dude. I'm gay. Still don't want to go see a romantic comedy. Like that's not your audience. But the news was, oh my gosh, people didn't go see this. Well, dudes don't go see movies like that. You know, (laughs) why are they not getting this? Yeah. And yeah. And that goes back to our initial conversation about just not knowing your audience, not knowing your customers, not knowing your consumers. And when you reject them and prioritize PR and critical acclaim, those are the end results. And all this stuff has failed. I mean, I hate cliches. I think they're um, lazy, but like the phrase go woke, go broke actually has a lot of merit because what that really means is a company is catering to not not their active consumers, but a group that doesn't like them. And that you've seen Disney do that. You've seen the NBA do that. You see so many cable news channels do that. I mean, it's, it's just a recipe for disaster. And that example you gave, bros, it hits it right in the nose. Um, guys don't want to see that. So if that's what you're appealing to, you're going to fail. Um, I, I always say status has replaced success. And the end results are just a fractured marketplace where content is not made for the vast, vast majority majority of society at large. So we don't see a lot of foreign companies doing this at this point. We don't see a lot of foreign beers doing this. This seems to be an American company type of thing. So does a Miller, does a, a Anheuser-Busch, do these companies come back from this? Is there any return for them? I think Miller Lite and Bud Light are uniquely vulnerable because there's so many beer options, right? Like if Nike or Under Armour do this, and they have, um, it's harder to just say, I'm not going to buy Nike or I'm not going to buy Under Armour. It's very easy to go to a bar and choose another beer other than Miller or Bud Light. So they're going to have a much harder time coming back from this stuff. And you've seen history says a lot of times it takes a long time. Um, late night shows have never come back from their rejection mm-hmm. of society at large. So do I think things will normalize some? Do I think Bud Light will rebound from its downward trajectory? Yes, but I don't know that Bud Light's ever going to get back to where they were because People are ha- are creatures of habits. Once they make a change, they often don't undo that change. So the people who have given up Bud Light in favor of a new beer, I think they're most likely just going to stay drinking that new beer because it's probably not all that different after you drank it for one month straight as so many blue-collar people have done. Obviously, Bud Light is struggling significantly. We're seeing them give out rebates. They're trying desperately to get people back. Did this teach other companies anything. I mean, obviously also Disney, we've seen DeSantis go after Disney. We've also seen a lot of people say, you know what, I'm just done with Disney Plus. They're starting to do some weird things. They're pushing weird stuff on my kids. And you know what, I can pick something else. There are other cartoons out there. Do companies start to learn from this and say, you know what, we're just going to stop the political messaging? I'm hopeful. I mean, Netflix is the best example. Netflix leaned into all of this stuff pretty aggressively. And over the past year and a half, they've 
taken the opposite approach. They doubled down on Dave Chappelle. They doubled down on Chris Rock. And they sent out memos to employees saying, hey, if you're offended, you leave. We're not going to just tell people they can't have this opinion, particularly in the case of Dave Chappelle. And I don't think people have focused enough on this. Netflix is actually adding subscribers. They did last quarter. I don't know about this quarter. But they went under a quote-unquote, woke reversal to great success. So I hope more people look at Netflix and see, hey, we don't need to cater to these people because they're unappeasable. We're never going to impress them. Why don't we just ignore them? Um, a recent study from Free Beacon came out that only 8% of the electorate actually agrees with the woke movement or what woke has come to mean. So if you just ignore them, there's no bad business repercussions because so little people... Well, that's what I don't agree. get. Why not just ignore it? Exactly. Why not... Be just focus on who your your clients are because that eight percent makes up a large percent of Twitter and the corporate press. And most people and a lot of the creativity they don't have the backbone to withstand thirty six hours of mean tweets and hit pieces from the New York Times, Washington Post. Because if you can withstand those thirty six hours, they'll move on and go to a new target. But most executives can't do that. They're too fragile. They're too cowardly and too afraid that if they're the target, they'll go down. But at some point. You have to be confident that enough people are going to say, hey, let them tweet that. Let them write that. We're not going to change our business for this small, radical subsection of society. Let's take a look at CNN because they are obviously the network that is now in decline. They have tried several times to say, oh, we're going back to the middle. We want to just be non-biased news. They have this town hall with Donald Trump and they're literally crying the next day. You've got Anderson Cooper like, I don't. I don't know what happened. We feel so bad. This is disgusting. You know, what is going on? I mean, Newsmax beat them out this week. This is big news. Newsmax had higher numbers than CNN. And that, to me, means people are saying, you know what? I really am going the opposite direction of the woke MSNBC, CNN type of news. So is this an opportunity for people to come in and just share news on from a regular non-biased standpoint? Or is CNN going to get the lesson or are they going to continue to cry into their Cheerios about everything that happens on the right? Oh, you're so right. And you know, congratulations to my friends at Newsmax. I have a lot of friends there. What an accomplishment. I mean, just, you know, relatively an upstart cable news network for most people just to beat CNN, which has been around longer than any other cable news network. Props to them. Oh, what a change in tide there is. But I'm actually less optimistic when it comes to CNN because, Tudor, CNN finds itself in such a bizarre, unique situation where the left is now mad at them for going back to the middle. CEO Chris Lick said right. two months ago, he goes, I can't believe all the left-wing vitriol we're getting for prioritizing journalism first. Oh, really? You're not surprised? But on the other hand, the right says, hey, these people were against us for at least the past five years, probably the last 10. Sure, there's new management, but we don't trust them because of who they employ. They still employ Jake Tapper, Anderson Cooper, uh, Laura Coates, uh, Brianna Kyler. So I think right now, CNN doesn't have either side. The left's mad at them. The right's still mad at them. And there's so small number of people who are in the middle who just want straight news. So I think CNN's problems are only beginning. I don't see a solution for Chris Lick and Discovery Management. I think CNN is going to continue hemorrhaging viewers until they find an identity. Because right now, they're in a crisis where all sides, also their employees, all hate the brand. Well, we see interesting things happening with MSNBC, CNN, Fox. Everything right now seems to have a little bit of shift and change in it. But we are also seeing places like BuzzFeed and Vice 
close down. Do one of the big networks not make it? Does it go to just two? Uh, I don't see that happening, but um, I, I, like, I do think the media marketplace is becoming more and more fractured. Um, I think one of the big questions is, what is the next star in media look like? Meaning what platform are they on? Because I would say Tucker Carlson has been the biggest star in media the past five years. He's now going to Twitter. Is Twitter going to host the biggest star or is it going to be someone like Ben Shapiro who makes a lot of money on Facebook and YouTube and Apple Podcasts? I don't think cable news is going away, but it's much more fractured because of these digital players. You talk to so many people out and about, they don't even watch news on TV. They're getting it on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or Rumble, or maybe now Twitter. So I don't see cable news going away, but I think it's going to be a diminished form to what it was even two, three years ago, particularly particularly what it was during the Trump administration. Or Outkick. So tell us about where people can find your stuff. Yeah, or, or Outkick, right? I mean, you can just cut the cord <laughs> and go right to Outkick. But uh, yeah, Outkick.com. Uh, I'm there pretty much every day writing about stuff. And uh, yeah, come check it out. And uh, by the way, we're big fans of yours. And uh, congratulations on all your success. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for coming on, Bobby Burak. Please check him out at Outkick. He's writing all the time and he's a Michigander. So you know that everything he does is amazing, just like everybody in Michigan. But thank you so much for being on today. I appreciate Appreciate it. it. And thank you all for joining me on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. As always, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or go to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join me next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast and have an awesome day. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.